John Adams' Letters from the Front podcast for April 1916. This podcast looks at life in World War I through the letters of John Adams, who was 23 when he joined up in September 1914. He served with the 9th Service Battalion, Royal Irish Fusiliers, and was involved in many significant events on the Western Front, particularly Passchendaele. These are his words, read by his grandchildren, and narrated by his great-grandchildren. World War I changed the political landscape of Europe. Empires crumbled, empires changed, and some empires disappeared altogether. The Ireland that John Adams left was not the one that he returned to at the end of the war. The threat of home rule was overtaken with the reality of Irish Republic. The Easter Rising in April 1916 affected the lives of many on this island. Even John's sister Jeannie wrote about it to their mother. To help us understand the impact of this week and the surrounding history around April 1916, we have Professor Susan Schreibman, who is the Project Director of the Letters of 1916 Project, and Neil Rooney, who is the Research Assistant in this project. First of all, guys, thank you very much for joining me in this. If you could just tell us a wee bit about the project. So the Letters of 1916 is a year-in-the-life project. What we're doing is collecting letters, any letter, about Ireland between November 1915 and October 1916. So six months before and after the rising. And the the goal is through this genre, through personal letters, we don't take letters to the editor, for example, to show what life was like in Ireland, the whole of Ireland, the whole of the island, but also how Ireland was perceived abroad. It's history on an x-axis almost, that history books and narratives sort of give you the idea of the broader sweeps, what was happening, but these are the personal stories, the interconnected tales that kind of make up the cultural mosaic of life in Ireland at that time. And that's one of the beautiful things about Irish history. It's a personal history. You tend not to get stories about kings and queens, you get stories about people. Yeah, one of the ways we think about it is uh, history with a small H. So it's not about, although it does include the leaders of the rising, it does include letters from generals. By far, the vast majority of correspondence is from people living their ordinary lives, going about their ordinary business. Having said that, their ordinary business is in the middle of the First World War, in the middle of a rising very much ordinary lives, extraordinary times. So how does how do the letters give you a perspective of the Easter Rising? Well, very interesting thing um, about reading letters about the Easter Rising, and indeed in, in John's sister's letter included, is the sheer amount of almost hearsay and, and disbelief of what's going on, that you have so many differing stories and differing opinions because news can't really get out of the city. Oftentimes you'd be reading these letters and what you're reading might be factually incorrect, but in another way it gives you a far more vivid picture of what was actually happening, say in Dublin and in the country as a whole, at a time of immediate unrest and then sort of martial law immediately imposed afterwards. Yeah, I think what's fascinating about these letters is that, as Neil said, people are sitting in their houses because most of them dare not go out and reporting, this is what I am seeing. You can't believe it, but... And from their windows, they're viewing the fighting, the British troops, people being shot. Then, as Neil said, there are all the rumors, the innuendos, and it's fascinating to see this as a kind of almost whisper tree 
one of the things we do because we are um, this is a digital project. Everything is online. One of the reasons we ask people to transcribe letters is so that we have the full text. And now we're starting the process of analyzing some of that full text. One of the things that would be fascinating if we could do it is to try to capture some of the fact from fiction, what people were thinking or what they they were told and what they're reporting in, in these letters. I must say, though, one of the really interesting things, if you want to do a contrast between the rising and the First World War, is that, and I, and I hadn't thought about it till you asked that question, is that the discourse is very different. So what you get, I think, in a lot of the First World War letters is, I don't want to say more factual, but here is what is happening to me. Often what is happening to me, if it's written by a soldier, is not, here are the awful things happening to me but some minutia of, of daily life, because obviously they don't want to worry their, their relations. And then what you get back to the soldiers is a kind of much more chatty, mm-hmm. here's what's happening at home, to try to restore a kind of normalcy. Interestingly, what you get in a lot of the rising letters is this is not a normal situation and we're not trying to hide what's going on because I think that situation in the more formal space of war and those conventions that existed at that time um, don't exist when, when the rising breaks out. Indeed, there's one letter very similar to that that comes to mind. It's from a woman named Nellie Preston Woodman to her fiancé and she writes to him. He's uh, serving in the front. She writes and it's a, it's a sort of repeated line. She read it. You won't be the only one with stories of war when you come back. It's this kind of idea of we know what you've gone through now. This idea of hearing the incessant, you know, pounding of, of the large guns and the machine guns and etc. It's interesting. It's almost, uh, like you're saying, writing a vivid account of the rising almost puts you in the same grounding as men serving at the front. And not just men. We do have of course, yeah. um, two quite large correspondents uh, from women who were serving as VADs or nurses. And their accounts and their writing is, is also very interesting. Obviously, a different perspective on the war, just as horrifying as what many of the men uh, went through. It is fascinating stuff. And coming from Northern Ireland, coming from a Protestant background in Northern Ireland, I never knew that much about the Easter Rising. Uh, maybe some of our listeners don't know that this past weekend we're recording just after Easter in 2016. There have been a lot of very good documentaries, discussions and things happening that raise the awareness of the Easter Rising. And if anybody out there wants to know about the Easter Rising, can I suggest a YouTube video, Easter Rising in Eight Minutes by John D. Ruddy? It's succinct in what happens, but has there been a different perspective brought out about the Easter Rising uh, from looking at these letters? I mean, I, I think what we had mentioned a little earlier is that it is a perspective in large measure, very ordinary people who are witnessing the rising basically from their sitting rooms, particularly in, in Dublin. And that mm-hmm. level of detail, that level of uh, you almost kind of the minutia of, of what is going on is very unusual in, say, standard historical accounts because historians obviously have to synthesize and summarize. They might take an example here or an example there as representative of a point they'd like to make. But one of the beauties of a project like this is that people looking at that now, your listeners, can read these letters themselves, form their own opinions, and see the kinds of trends, use of language that, again, when you're reading a history book, 
obviously you're reading the historian's language in that narrative. And so here it's a very different way of understanding the period for, from people's own voices. And indeed, in our case, their own handwriting. Now, I completely agree with Susan. From my own perspective, something that really, not necessarily challenged, but greatly interested my own understanding of the Rising was the number of postcards printed immediately after the Rising, which are photographs of the destruction of Sackville Street, now O'Connell Street, and other areas of Dublin. And that a large number of these postcards are sent to people, are, are posted by British soldiers serving in Dublin back to family and relatives in England or, or wherever to give them an idea. The postcards are, are very friendly, of course, saying, you know, dear whoever, this is to give you an idea of what the work is like here. Or I tried to get you a picture of O'Connell Street, but they were sold out. And I guess it shows you a sense of how momentous the occasion must have seemed. And as we know now, it was. But to have that immediacy right after the event, because as, as we've said, this is coming at a time of global war. I mean, the Battle of Verdun has been waging for several months at this point when the rising breaks out and the planning for the Somme offensive is well underway. It's very fascinating to see that. I, I didn't expect myself to, to come across that. But one of the things we found quite interesting is, is that the postcards were printed so quickly within the week. So you think, well, with all this destruction, there's some there's a business opportunity there. And the other thing that's interesting about it is that you don't find postcards of the major battles on the Western Front being sent back by soldiers. So when the, the news media was very tightly controlled in theatres of war by the British Army, and it shows you once again how unprepared the British authorities were for the outbreak of the Rising and how they were fighting on all different fronts after, not just physically, but in terms of the, the kind of propaganda war, as it were, and couldn't stop all this activity. You know, it's a major city, things are going on, people start printing postcards, selling them on the street. You know, the British had quite much larger things to, to worry about at the time. So one of the postcards that Neil referred to is from this soldier named Tom Doolin, who we think probably was a Sherwood Forester who came over to, to put down the, the rising. And because he sends it back to his father and his sister in Derby in England. And these postcards, we have two of them. And he, he just sends postcards, you know, one says after the insurrection, and one of the one is the one that Neil mentions that he wanted to buy his sister one of the GPO, but it was all sold out. So you get a sense that people at the time began collecting these because they also either wanted to sh show their friends and family or keep it for themselves. But these particular postcards were sent to us by someone in the UK who bought them in a car boot sale and thought they might be of interest to the project. Well, let's move on to more things that would affect John Adams. We're thinking about how the Ulster Unionist people would have thought. John Adams coming from RMI, he signed the Ulster Covenant, he joined the 36th Ulster Division. Do you get a sense from the letters how people sort of in Ulster thought about it? We do have a number of um, of writers who are serving in the 36th and some from outside it, like, for instance, Lady Londonderry and um, Sir Edward Carson do be writing in our collection too. But one of the most prominent correspondents that refer to the Rising and indeed continue to refer to it up until the trial of Sir Roger Casement is Sir Wilfred Spender. And 
his correspondence at once it's framed an immediate shock of what has happened but then it's also it seems to be a sense of almost relief or, or, or the idea that this is the death knell for home rule that the john redmond and then that sort of his ilk well this is irredeemable what has happened sort of in southern ireland that the Ulster regiments have continued to act with distinction upon the Western Front and that this is no ill reflection on them, but possibly for the 16th and the 10th Irish divisions, this is a reflection on them. It's interesting just to see how he seizes this moment, takes it as a a real positive in the sense of opposing home rule. The other thing we have are quite a number of letters, as it happens, from women who are just happened to be traveling down to Dublin during the ride, you know, during Easter, whether they're going to visit friends, family. And for them, this is very exciting. You know, the account, the, the train ride. Eileen Mayer. Yeah, Eileen Mayer. And again, as we mentioned earlier, with people recounting what they saw, it seemed all of a sudden the war is being brought home to them. You don't get a sense that that they feel they're in imminent danger. Again, they're reporting to their families, A, they want to make sure people realize they're okay, which of course they can't do because there's no post for it such a long time. But but just how exciting this is. And it does give you a sense, I think particularly with the women's letters, that you get, I think, more later on how women want to be to be able to take a part in some of these events. Obviously, you could if you were that in the First World War, but that they don't want to just sit at home on the sidelines. It's interesting that some of the the most sort of, I guess, what you'd expect scathing um, reports of the Rising, um, particularly from, from, say, Irishmen serving in the British Army, from Ulster or from Leinster or from Munster Connacht, one of them comes from the Royal Navy, that it's an Irishman from Dublin who writes that the, these he calls them these blind, ignorant fools are, are tearing down this temple of glory that our Irish regiments have worked so hard to build. And it's this idea that this idea of, of, I guess, nationalism, of what it means to be nationalist at this time and what it is to, to fight for, that a lot of the disgust and the, the outrage at the Rising comes not from Ulster, as you'd expect, but a lot of it comes from a lot of people serving with, say, the 10th or the 16th. Yeah, I mean, I would agree with Neil. It, it seems to me, at least at the time, from the letters that we have, that the fault lines are different that it is people who are either loyal to the British crown uh, by tradition, people who have fought and believe in home rule, or people who are in fact fighting on the front feel very much betrayed by the the acts of the the volunteers, north and south. It is a fascinating project. It does give a lot of perspective. I I love the the one narrativeness of the whole project, that it's not sort of this is uh, the glorious revolution or this is the the terrible disgrace it's just taking it as people thought at the time and i think it's a wonderful project if anybody would like to get involved with a project how would they do that so there's two ways to get involved one is by transcribing letters so if you go to our site it's letters1916.ie we have three sections one is learn which is just information about the project One is Explore, and that's our database that allows you to search, browse. Here we have um, the images of the letters, transcription of the letters, and then a lot of facets that you can refine your search by. But if you go to the Contribute section, this is where we invite people to 
transcribe letters that other people or the project that we have uploaded or and or add letters that you might that people might have at home. We have over 50 private collections in the project database. They range from one very precious letter that might be saved to a couple of collections with over a hundred. And these letters in many ways are especially precious to us because they're letters that have never been seen outside the family, but also they come with a lot of information from families. Often they give us photographs of the correspondence. They tell us what happened later. And this we make available in the explore part as background information. So if people have a letter, they can photograph it or they can scan it. And there's um, what's called an upload form, a form that you fill out and give us information. If someone has a particularly large collection and can't manage to photograph it, we go out and photograph those. And we always give back the photographs if, if somebody, a family would like them. Thank you both very much for joining me in the podcast. And if you do explore the 1916 Letters website, you can find some of the letters from the John Adams Letters from the Front webpage. Field Postcard, Thursday, 2nd of April, 1916. I am quite well, and I'm going on well. I received your letter dated 27th of March, 1916. Letter follows at first opportunity. Field Postcard, Thursday the 5th of April, 1916. I am quite well and going on well. I received your parcel. Letter follows at first opportunity. Field Postcard, Thursday the 13th of April, 1916. I am quite well and am going on well. I received your letter dated 8th of April 1916. Letter follows at first opportunity. Field postcard, Thursday 16th of April 1916. I am quite well and am going on well. I received your letter dated 4th of April 1916. Letter follows at first opportunity. Church Hill. Hollywood, County Down, 16th of April 1916. My dear mother, I am very sorry I have been such a time in writing, but I could not help it. I have been so busy. I think I never did as much work in my life as I have done this past week. We have got all the cleaning done. We just got done last night and I am tired. There was a woman in only three days. I did the rest myself. I was down in Hollywood last night after I got finished. I met the cruisers. First thing Sarah asked me, was I sick? She said I never looked this sick looking, but I am glad to get finished. I hope you are well. Have you any more word from Johnny lately? I had none all week. I wrote to him last Sunday. I told him I was going to send him a parcel, but I had not time to do it. Would you send him one for Easter? I am sure he will be lonely. I hope we will hear from him soon. Has Sammy Moffat been home yet? I forgot to tell you that last week the lot was full of ships. Mr. Temple said he counted 19. There was German submarines in the channel. These ships were guarded by a warship. I think they have caught one of the submarines. I wish it was all over. It seems to get worse. Hollywood is all darkening now and the street lamps are not lit and any that are are covered halfway down. The shopkeepers are not allowed to put lights in their windows. The times are getting worse. Well, Bangor Road Church has got settled. 
Mr. Burnwood is to be installed in Bangor Road on Thursday. First everyone likes to see him. The service is at 12 o'clock on Thursday. I'm going to it. There's a social at night. You wanted to know how I could get home for Easter. I would just love to go, but there is no use trying. It would only start a row. I might get later on. I hope you are all well. Write me a long letter soon. I think this is all now. Excuse this scroll. Any more word from Lizzie? She's a cool one. Give my love to all. I remain your loving daughter, Jeannie Adams. Write soon to me. Church Hill, Hollywood, County Down, 21st of April, 1916. My dear mother, this is just the wee line to say I got your letter all right. I am very sorry I can't get home for Easter. I would have liked to get, but it can't be helped now. Yous will be lonely without Johnny. Poor fellow, he'll be lonely too. Mr Hunter told me the other day that the Ulster Division are fighting now. His son's a sergeant. He has never been home yet. I hope God will take care of Johnny and bring him back safe. I had a postcard from him yesterday. It was only a field one. I hope you're all well. Are your pains getting better? I hope Annie's cold is better by now. I have got all right again. I had a very sore pain in my back, but it's away too, I am glad to say. Well, we have to get our new minister settled yesterday. It was very good. I was at the service in the morning and at the social at night. It was all very good and as Mr Woodburn said himself, he had got a royal welcome. It was very nice. He seems a very nice man. He stood at the church door and shook hands with everyone as they came out and Mrs Woodburn is Mrs Chambers over the world. Everyone said how like each other they are. They presented Mrs Woodburn with a new gown and a little girl all in white presented Mrs Woodburn with flowers. I am sending the papers with the installation in it. I will send one with the social if it's in the paper. It was good. Do you know that Heron is out of jail? He had got off free. Had you any word from Lizzie lately? I was up at many cruisers one evening. She told me to tell you that if you would like to come down to Belfast for a change, she'll be very glad to have you. I think this is all now. You will not get this till Monday as the post went out early today. I hope you will write me a good long letter soon. I hope Annie and Jimmy are both well. With best love, I remain your loving daughter, Jeannie Adams. Write soon to me. Church Hill, Hollywood, County Down, 27th of April, 1916. My dear Annie, thanks very much for the letter and the card, which I got all right. I hope you are all quite well. I suppose Easter was very quiet. Well, I was at church twice on Sunday. The soldiers were at the morning service. There was a good many. I was thinking of poor Johnny. He was here this time last year. I saw Lizzie Crozier and Annie and Sarah on Saturday night. They asked me down to Annie's on Monday, so Sarah came up for me in afternoon and we went round to the shore. The tides were full in and it was lovely. Leonard Brown was down. He isn't a bad wee chap at all. I was talking to him a good while. He was telling me all the news about home. He says his father is very ill. He was in a bad way about him. He said he wanted Jimmy and Davy Cruiser to come with him. I wish Jimmy had come. They all went down to the town about five. They wanted me to go with them, but I didn't go. I wonder did he get home. Sometimes the Crozers are not bad. They always ask me to go with them there for minis or anywhere. I think this is near about all as it's near bedtime. I hope you will write me a good long letter soon. Has Jimmy the potatoes all in yet? The weather has been nice this past few days. Was Thomas Moffat home at Easter? I don't think any of the company got any leave. They might later on. Write soon. Give my love to all. I remain your loving sister, Jeannie. Write soon. 
Church Hill, Hollywood, County Down, 27th of April 1916. My dear mother, this is just a wee line to say I am well. I hope you got my letter and paper on Monday. Wasn't the weather very wet for Easter? This last few days has been nice. I hope you are all well. Is your pains gone yet? I hope so. Have you any word from Johnny lately? I have had none for a long time. I hope he is well. I think they are having a very hard time. I expect you heard all about the fighting in Dublin. Wasn't it dreadful? It's coming very near us. There was 10,000 soldiers sent from England and a lot from Belfast. I heard there was a bridge blown up so that the train can't reach Dublin. I hope they won't start in Belfast. I know three girls that went to Dublin on Monday and they have not arrived home yet. I am glad there is no one belonging to us in it. They say there there is a lot killed and wounded. I think news are fairly safe out there. I wish it was all over. What does the Crawleys say about it? Are they for it? The volunteers around here have all been called up. We have got our new minister settled. He seems very nice. He was preaching on Sunday night himself and the church was packed. I never saw so many people in it before and everyone seemed to like him. He has had a wedding and a funeral. He is only there a week today. He is to start visiting soon. Had you any word from Lizzie lately? How is she getting on? It was very good of you sending me the wee card. I thank you all for it. If you get any word from Johnny, well you write soon and let me know. Gordon Copeland was telling me he was up at Tully Happy on Tuesday. He says when he was coming back at night he had to wait at Gorewood from 7.30 till 9 o'clock before he could get a train. Maybe it was just as well I was not home. If you don't hear from Johnny, don't be too annoyed because there is very few boats running. They may not be able to get the mail across. I think this is all now. I will send you a paper. Write me a good long letter soon. Give my best love to all. I remain your loving daughter, Jeannie. Write soon to me. Somewhere in France, British Expeditionary Force, 29th of April, 1916. My dear mother, I am so sorry that I have been so long in writing to you, but I was waiting on getting the parcel that you said in your letter you were sending got to me, so I only got it last night. That is something like 10 days it took in coming, and it only takes a letter 4 days. So you will understand why I was so long in writing. Well, to start with, I must thank you for what you sent me in your parcel. You are so awful good to me, I do not know how ever to repay you. All in the parcel was alright. There was nothing gone astray. You must have spent some time in packing it. Well, we have got Easter over such as it was. You would not have known that it was Easter. Only the Germans kept quiet all day on the Sunday. But they gave us a few shells on Monday, which our fellows pay back in dead earnest. But it's just the same every day. I wonder how far the end is off. There is not many out here would care if it was over tomorrow. The weather is still keeping good, it is like summer today, and I hope it continues for the wet weather is not very pleasant. I suppose the people at home are busy putting in the crop. Have you got the garden in yet? You can put my share in and I will be home before they are dug. Well, I must thank you again for your parcel, which we enjoyed very much as it was a change from the loaf bread, and I think I must now draw to a close as I must write to Annie tonight, but I will not be long in writing to you again. I remain your loving son, John Adams. 
Thank you for listening to John Adams' Letters from the Front podcast. To find out more about John Adams and his family, visit www.johnadams.org.uk forward slash letters. The history of the 9th Service Battalion, Royal Irish Fusiliers, during World War I is taken from Blacker's Boys. Visit them at www.9thirishfusiliers.co.uk with the number 9. Podcasts will be published 100 years after the letters are written, so will be published nearly every month. If you would like to contact us with comments or reactions, the email address is letters at johnadams.org.uk. This has been a Mark Mess production. Thank you.